uh, a little bit about this, and of course, we covered a lot of things, but as usual, after a day, when you do that, uh, there are some things that, uh, in my consideration, I felt were not that adequately uh, covered, so I'd like to not just cover <clears throat> the last part, that would just take a few minutes, but maybe to uh, uh, backtrack from the beginning with some continuity and just briefly uh, run over the things we did touch, and I'd like to mention a few points for some emphasis or something I didn't have time to say. Okay, is that all right? Okay, now, I think most of you are there and uh, uh, know, were familiar with these verses in Laodicea. And one thing I would like to mention uh, with Laodicea is right at the beginning, uh, we stressed that Laodicea means the opinion of the people. And because uh, there wasn't that much time uh, I didn't get to really say a lot about it. But I want to emphasize that the church in Laodicea, which is Philadelphia, having fallen away and falling down to a, to, uh, a lukewarmness, right? You, you, you all recall that Philadelphia is... Uh, or became Laodicea, except for the ones who overcame. Okay, you understand? And the characteristic of Philadelphia, uh, excuse me, of Laodicea, is not darkness, like in Thyatira, and it's not the world, like in Pergamos. It's not suffering, like in Smyrna, it's not deadness like in Sardis. It's lukewarmness. And that lukewarmness has a root to it. It has a source to it. And the source of that lukewarmness is instead of the enjoyment of Christ as life, they became a situation in which the opinion of the people dominated. Not life, but opinion. And, a, and life, of course, is very life-giving. And opinion is very deadening. And so when Paul, I mean, when uh, uh, John wrote this epistle, the description that the Lord Jesus gave him of their condition was that they were an opinionated people and that due to this, they were five things. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And this was due to, you think about it. This is not due to sin. This is not due to darkness. This is not due to a lot of things that uh, the other seven churches were involved with as we saw them prophetically unveiled down through the centuries. But this is due to the opinion of the people. Think about it. It's the, it is really a classic struggle between the soul of the of fallen man and the spirit of the regenerated man. You see? And of course, because this is a corporate matter, this involved a big entity of saints. You see? 
many, 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 that at some point were on the line of Philadelphia, but they, they, they fell from their spirit. They fell to their mind. They fell to their opinion. You see, and you have to realize that this brought in not this this brought in not not uh, coldness. It brought in lukewarmness, mm-hmm. and so lukewarmness uh, here is really an example of living and being and operating in the natural mind rather than in the regenerated mm-hmm. spirit. That's what I really want to impress on you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and the Lord Jesus here presented himself as uh, three things. Uh, He said he was the amen, you remember? And then he was the faithful and true witness. So he's an amen, he's a witness. And then then the final one, he says he was what? The beginning of the creation of God. And how that the Lord Jesus cannot amen. He cannot be the amen. There is no amen in us. The Christ in us cannot amen the opinions of the natural man. But he can amen all of the excellent things that produced Philadelphia. That was the all-inclusive Christ. All that Christ is, all that he's done. Anytime you dwell on the unsearchable riches of Christ, the amen is there. You see, So he's coming and he's presenting himself as what? I'm an amen. The amen is coming to call you back to your foundation. You see, he, he was the faithful and true witness. Who is this? It's Jesus Christ. He's God. He came and he totally, faithfully, and in reality, he witnessed about what? He didn't come and just witness to some, some outward thing. He came and expressed God the Father through the, the divine life. That was his faithful and true witness, wasn't it? Well, this is what the Lord is saying. This implies, come back to this. You see, Philadelphia is the faithful and true witness of the, of the divine life of Christ in us. And when we express him like that, then uh, we're faithful and true. This is a call. Him presenting himself in this way is implying that there needs to be a return to him in this kind of way, you see. And then when it says he's the beginning of the creation of God, uh, you can see it doesn't just say, I, you know, it, it doesn't. This word beginning is significant in this phrase. It doesn't say you should really remember the creation of God or something like that. It says that he is the beginning of the creation of God. Meaning, in simplicity, that there's a source here. There's a beginning. There is a first. Uh, there's a there's a first place here. Okay. There's a there's a beginning factor, and that source, that beginning factor, is Christ. He says, "I am the beginning of the creation of God," which is the creation of God is is the church, which is His body. You see, that's His creation. That's the new creation, and the creation of God here is referring to the church, not the physical creation. Okay. He's the source of that. <clears throat> so now you see right away, just in the very beginning, to overcome the situation of lukewarmness, he just contrasts the opinion of the natural 
mind the people versus what the source, the beginning, Christ as the source of the new creation, which to us is just our spirit. Christ is in our spirit, and the old man is just in our soul. And we have to live in the spirit uh, and not in the soul. Here, living in the old soulish fallen self, we will just express opinions, right? Opinions will... Uh, we won't say we'll make you cold. It will make you lukewarm. And lukewarm is, is so dangerous because uh, you're blind. That's one of the characteristics. You're blind. You can't see. Even if, if, you're, if, you're, if you're dead, you, at least you're dead. And you know I'm dead, you see. But when you're blind, you just don't see the situation. You see, and so lukewarmness is. That's why it's so. Yeah. Uh, it's so. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's so emphasized here as being mm-hmm. such such a state that should be of all states. It, it should be uh, looked out for and shunned and and so forth uh, more than any other state, because with nothing else did the Lord say, "I would vomit you out of my mouth." But with lukewarmness, he did say that. A lot of opinions, you see. Well, you just think about it and apply it to your own situation. You see, lukewarmness, uh, if you're lukewarm, you are like me and we are like everybody else. That means when we're lukewarm, we have a lot of opinions. Plus, the reverse is true. When we have a lot of opinions, we are just lukewarm. Am I right? My opinions, think about it. Uh, you know, uh, if you, <clears throat> let's put it this way, the closer you get to somebody, you see, like Alfred, Alfred and I, we, we, we know each other. I definitely know Alfred. We know each other. We know you know, substantial amount about each other, but we don't really, we don't really have uh, a close relationship. We don't spend, you know, a lot of time talking and things like that, right? But, you know, I mean, you know, we have a relationship in Christ. So I don't know his opinions. He, he, I'm sure he knows my opinions a lot more than I know his opinions. (laughs) Because I open my mouth. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm more, uh, you see, so, but I don't know his opinions that much, right? Think about it. See, I I know Neil's opinions a lot more, Alfred, because you know why? I, I've spoken to he's spoken to me a lot more, so I know his opinions a lot better. You see, that's true, just in general. See, the closer you get to somebody, the more you get to know the real opinion. The opinion just comes out, right? So, if we really apply this we find out that uh, uh, our situation is really like Laodicea. If we live in the natural mind and we let the self be the main thing, then we live in a state of having an opinion. You know what we have an opinion about? Everything. Everything. See, we, you can't escape it. The opinion is the embodiment of the self. 
so you can't escape it. Your, your, your opinion is just the expression of you. You have it about everything. Okay? Uh, my wife and I uh, have been married, you know, uh, you know, a, a fair number of years now. Okay, over 20 years. And so, consequently, uh, I know her very well, and she knows me very well. Right? Can you imagine a lot of how much talk has passed? A lot of talk, right? A lot of opinions. You see now. If she lives in her opinions, then she becomes a lukewarm sister. What would she have an opinion about? She would have an opinion about everything regarding the family. Right? Everything about me, about our children, about our home, about this, about... Do you know how many things, uh, in marriage life, how many things you have to coordinate together is amazing <laughs> unbelievable okay who takes the mail out of the mailbox do you know if that's not settled it's really confusing <laughs> no where's the mail who did who took it out somebody has to do this with the awareness of everyone else otherwise the mail just disappears right. <laughs> See, who takes the trash out who empties the initial trash can to get a bigger trash can to get uh, something you can tie up and then who takes it to the to the other place and then who sets it out and then who brings it in I mean brings a can in see just one thing trash think of all the things you got <laughs> right okay the point is simple and that is uh, uh, the, 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 you know, now that we've been married for this long, you would say, boy, we really have ironed out all of our problems. We've ironed them out. Okay? Do you understand iron out problems? We've worked out all our problems. You think? You think we've been married so long we've worked them out? No, no. Not like that. Uh, don't have a false hope that time solves your problems. No. Time does not solve your problems. You don't work them out or they don't just vanish by time actually because you get you're so familiar with one another the temptation to have an opinion about the other person or their way or their style or their speech or their dress or their anything is very much uh, uh, enhanced or developed because you're so familiar did you realize that Therefore, the only solution, if you want to have a real peaceful situation, the only solution is uh, somebody there has to uh, <laughs> live according to the Spirit. <laughs> if not, you have two opinions colliding together, and opinions never lose. Even one of them seems to lose, he only goes down for a while, then he resurrects. <laughs> he does. Then, then you go at it again. You go at it again. You see, the only solution to have the, the marriage life, to have any kind of life, to even be with your roommate, uh, to have the church life where we are together uh, so much is that we are not people 
so full of opinions. But we are people who have come back to the beginning. Amen. See, what is our source? Amen. Saints, just ask our question. When I speak to people that I'm very familiar with, do I run my speech? Do I take my talk, talk and do I put it through the filter? You understand the filter? Yes. The filter of the cross of Christ. Do I do that? If you do that, everything works. If you don't do that, you just have an impossible situation. You, you, you believe me. See? I know this, I know this point really, really well from observation and personal experience and, and a lot of things. Okay? We have to stick with our source. The source is Christ. The problem with Laodicea is they left the beginning. And Christ says, I am the beginning of the creation of God. You see? This is the church. This is the way we make it. You see? We die. We do. How? By letting everything we are, we say, and everything we do pass through the filter of the cross. Then the self will be eliminated. And we, with Christ, will pass through in resurrection. Right? Okay, I think you get the main principle. Okay. Uh, after that, we talked about uh, some lukewarmness, and I think you saw uh, that point. Uh, I mentioned several things with lukewarmness. Uh, if y'all remember, I, we had a little five-category thing of what make what makes us what cools us off from being hot to come down to being lukewarm. Do you remember? We talked about that. Okay, uh, uh, one or two things I'd like to just. Uh, in those in that line mentioned and that is we talked about the first point was what what thing sinful things okay sinful things cool us off okay and usually uh, here here's the reason I, I I felt I should put this down as number one because in my eyes and in my uh, you know in my feeling uh, you brothers and sisters represent the best people that are on uh, that campus, or around that campus, or on some other campus, y'all. To me, y'all are y'all are the cream of the crop. Okay, you're the best. But regardless of whether you're the best or not, uh, what I do know about a college campus is that the is that the tide, the atmosphere. The power of this age is is the strongest on a college campus versus any other place you can you can go. It's there. It's strong, and it's no longer bashful. It no longer just hides out in in corners. It no longer just is somewhere spoken in secret. It has become a bold kind of thing, very bold, to do things that are perverted and sinful in the eyes of God has now become something that is very much accepted as being the modern this or the modern that or the modern way to, to do this, to do that. This is all called 
uh, under a big category, just being up to date, being modern, you know, uh, developing with the times and so forth. Well, uh, sorry, but the church does not develop with the times. You see, the church is is the church is an eternal entity. We are a piece of eternity on planet Earth, and we don't change. We came from the beginning, and uh, we were ahead of the times. And when the times passed us by, we were behind the times. We just are from the heavens. We don't change. We don't have we don't have anything. We just uh, are uh, the church's testimony is just that we are in the eternal sphere, okay? But the campus is not like that. It's changing, changing, getting bolder. There is one characteristic you can count on because it is according to the spirit of the air, and that is that whatever changes occur, they go downward. There has never been and will never be a general change that goes upward. This would be against the prophecies of the Scripture and against especially Paul's very pointed sayings in, in First and Second Timothy of how the last days would be and the Lord's prophecies that the days of Noah would be like our days. Okay. They, they always go down. Therefore, sin is a commonplace thing. And we cannot allow our thinking, our renewed mind, to be influenced by that in any way. We have to reject it. Just absolutely reject it because we don't live under that spirit. That's the wrong spirit. Okay? We don't give any ground. We don't say, well, that's, you know, that's okay. If it goes 100%, that doesn't mean we should slide 3%. If it goes 100%, we're still at zero. If it goes backward 100%, we're still at zero. Whatever happens around us, we still stay at the beginning. You see, we let everything change. It's okay. It's, it, uh, it's going to fulfill scriptures. It shouldn't shock anybody. But we, brothers and sisters, have to be absolutely clear that that's a realm that is not ordained by God for us. And we should not be shocked that the devil is doing this. But we should, we should also be very clear that that is not our portion, not our destiny. God has sanctified us by his blood from that realm. Nothing simple, okay? Uh, the, the really good characteristic of a church that I, is so wonderful is that we do not try to conform all brothers and sisters into a kind of a mold. We don't try to do that, you see. Uh, our way is to minister Christ to people. All of you have to testify that from whenever you came among us, uh, in any form or fashion, what you really got as the outstanding feature was a real emphasis on the person and work of Christ. You have to admit that. I, in my conscience, I know this is true and it's never changed. Regardless of little uh, sidelights that we might talk about at times, 
it always relates back to the person and the riches of Christ. You see, uh, this this is a good sign. This this is uh, this this is a healthy sign. Okay, the riches of Christ. Now, uh, amazingly, people would consider us more conformed to one another than uh, other people. Do you follow what I'm saying? They would they would consider it this way. We look alike. We talk more alike. We uh, even dress more alike. We we uh, smile more alike. We use our right arm more alike. We do a lot of things. You see, but nobody ever trained anybody. No one ever said this is the way you do it. No one ever did that. But you know what? If you get if you get honestly speaking, if you get a group of brothers and sisters together like us, and you enjoy the same spiritual food, and you have the fellowship and you have the uh, close-knit body life, you can't, you, can't help, you can't help having a similarity. You can't help that. There's not anything wrong with that. If it comes out of Christ, this is a beautiful thing. If it comes out of uh, we taught somebody how to act in the church life, this is an ugly thing. But if it's life, it's very, very, very beautiful. You see? So don't, ever, don't let anybody ever... Uh, convince you or or cast some kind of suspicion that uh, well you know you act this way and that way I've never seen this before you know this thought I've never seen anything like this before mm-hmm. is not a criticism they may mean it as a criticism but if they can't say something like that about the church then I'm disappointed because that's why I came in because I was because I saw something and I knew that the source of that, after at least after a, a little while, I knew the source of that was not man, but that was that was divine. So I was attracted by that. See, of course, there are there's a lot of similarities, but you have to admit if you go to each person one by one and say how did uh, how did you do this? How did you learn this? Why do you do this? And, and actually, not one person can really explain why they express themselves in a certain way. It is, it is totally spontaneous. Do you see? Then if it's spontaneous, then, then nobody can criticize something that is spontaneous from the divine life. That would be a big mistake. You see? We have plenty of differences. Don't we have plenty of differences? Look, look at us. We have plenty of differences. And you go other places, and they couldn't have a meeting like we're having tonight. They could not do it. They have too many opinions. You just can imagine the opinions that would come out. Because they haven't learned to appreciate Christ, and they don't know their spirit that well. Okay, this is not to be critical. This is to be honest. Okay? But, but because we've learned a little bit how to turn to our spirit to appreciate Christ, you see, then... We, we have some uh, common, uh, some common uh, portion. It is our common salvation. And we are supposed to be members one of another. And we're supposed to be fitly framed. What's wrong with that? Would you call the other situations that they would say, well, look, all the other situations, uh, they, don't, they, they don't look so close, 
closely uh, together. Do you realize in saying things like that, they're speaking directly against what the body of Christ is supposed to be like? You see, it's supposed to be fitly framed. It's supposed to be knit together in love. You see, we are supposed to be members of one another. This is inward, and it has some outward expression. You can't, you can't uh, have people living closely and experiencing Christ together, and we all have nothing. I mean, you have your expression, and I have mine. Well, we do, but we have, we have a lot of common things. This is right. This is not wrong. This is right. You see, if you're doing it, if you're faking it, that's your problem. <laughs> you're wrong. You see, if you're doing it because you think that's the that's the uh, official way, you're the one that's wrong. But the church and the saints don't feel this way. You see, okay, I think you get the point. This is not our. Uh, this is not you know our job. Uh, with to conform things but with sinful things the church does take a stand and we're not we're not going to conform to this age and we're not going to conform to the worldly church or the churchy world and say well we're not going to be too rough and uh, and we're just going to you know let it slide and so forth you know when you live out there and you this stuff bombards you all the time it tends to weaken you a little bit. That's why we need the church life, so that when we come back into the church life, you see, we come back into the light and we realize where our base is. Where, 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 where is home base? You know, everybody needs to know where home base is, don't you? See, if you don't, you just you're drifting all the time. You don't know. What, this is a, this is today's situation. Everybody's just a, a, a drift out there, just like driftwood. Wherever the tide takes them. This is where they end up. No one can control anything. It's like James says, it's a ship that has no rudder to it. See, we're different. So in the church, uh, uh, there's a a standard, but that standard does not include conforming people to be the same. But it does include, and and it it is very definite, about keeping sin out of the church. That's leaven. You see, what what are we talking about? Well, uh, we're talking. We're not talking about the sins that we all commit every day that we confess to the Lord in private that He cleanses us with. We're not talking about that. See, but uh, we're talking about the fact that some, that when that when some that in when when people engage in gross sin when they are in the sins of darkness. Okay, when they are in the sins of immorality, mm-hmm. that nature. You you read you read First uh, Corinthians. You see, if any man is an adulterer, if any man is a fornicator, if any man is a drunkard, if any man is, a, you know, uh, extortioner, etc. You know, then this person has to be disassociated. Well, that's because the body of Christ is sanctified in God's eyes. It's sanctified, and so when. Not if a person slips and commits sin, but if they fall into the habit or the lifestyle or the routine of sin like this. You read those kind of things. If anybody lives in this kind of a way, you think 
you think we're going to allow somebody that's a bank robber and he every uh, Friday night he holds up a bank or a convenience store, we're going to just let him come and praise the Lord with us? You think we're going to do that? No. Then we lose, in God's eyes, we're all fouled up. At that point, the Spirit will leave us all because we're associating and, you see, we're, we're fellowshipping with something God has to reject. You see? So, so we, we cannot part, participate in that. You follow? So the church is strong like that. Uh, and we have to be like this. I, I, just, I just want to appeal to you as young people living out there in the hurricane of a campus. Don't be fooled by it. When you come back to the meetings of the saints, you'll feel like you walk right into a gray light. Because out there, it is really blowing hard. And you need the calm of the safe harbor. Amen. And that and that harbor is the church life. Amen. Right? You see, you get clear about everything once you come back. You see, even I'm not on the campus now. I, I but don't think don't think I don't understand what happens and, and how it is. Okay. Uh, I just give myself a little credit for knowing something. Okay. I can't say. I can't say I know this and that. Nobody knows everything about the about the campus. But but let's don't be. I mean, there's no there's no need to 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 play a game about it. Let's face it. The whole thing is going down the the drain, and it is accelerating. Right, and we are going the opposite way. And if we don't look a little funny. This, there is something wrong. How can they be so off and we say that we are so according to Christ and it doesn't look like we're going in completely opposite directions? That would be wrong. So we are a people that would, would look peculiar. This is, this is okay. In fact, this is necessary. Okay? Y'all all understand me? Okay. So stay away from any of this. And of course, some other things like idolatry. Well, we don't need to worry much about that in the strict sense of it. I mean, real physical idols. America is a real educated, civilized country, and it does not have a long tradition of religion. We're only 300 years old around here. So we don't have a lot of uh, uh, Western uh, paganism from the old countries, and we don't have a lot of things from the... Uh, uh, Mid-East or the Far East, where the cultures are thousands of years old, we're just we're just babes over here in the Western Hemisphere, right? So we don't have we don't have it unless you unless you fell into Catholicism, then they brought the statues from from the West. I mean, the, you know, Western Europe, and all the, the all the statues and all the venerations of the saints, <clears throat> what they say are the saints, and Mary, of course. Uh, other than that, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of funny temples and things like that. Uh, there, there's some, but mostly the Americans just say that's just from some other country or something. And so there's not much attention paid to it. But idolatry, we, we, we would not tolerate in church. Never. See, just like, just like uh, Paul said, if someone else preaches to you another gospel, 
in Galatians. You remember we just read that. He said, which is not another, because there's only one. But if anybody does that, he said, let that person be accursed. See? So if anybody brings an idolatry, we're going to throw the idol out, and we, and we will throw you out with the idol. Okay. And say, as soon as you repent from idolatry, we will welcome you. But as long as you're with idolatry, the church of the living God is through with you. Why? Because the idol is an insult to God's person. It's a replacement to God's person. So we can't do that. You see. So anything like that, we we do take a stand on. But concerning all the other little things about how to live and where to live and careers and families and how to raise kids and how not to raise kids. Do you ever hear? Do you ever? Do you ever hear people giving seminars around the church life on? How to raise kids? No, no. No. When the church life first started in this country, there was more talk like this. I noticed that as years went on, it died out. For two reasons. One is people got more grounded, rooted and grounded in Christ. And number two, they realized how futile all that other stuff was. Nothing of what they thought really worked. You see? So now we don't we don't do that. See, actually, every situation is different. What we can tell people is this: you need to apply Christ. You see, occasionally some human wisdom can be applied to a situation. That's true, and when necessary, that's we are supposed to help one another. But we cannot conform everybody. Uh, there's no two situations alike. You see, just like there are no two saints that are exactly alike. Okay, but we all do have something common, so we all focus on that, and that makes everything pleasant. Leave it just for a day. Leave, and and you have a problem. Leave it for a week, and you're 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 on the edge. Leave it for a month, and you're out. You just have to focus, and keep the the source fresh in the experience of Christ. Do you follow me? Okay, I think you get that, so I'll just move right along here. Uh, that was sinful things. I wanted to say a, a word. I, I have plenty. Don't I have? I have a lot of time, don't I? Oh, yeah, we're just real relaxed tonight. Usually I'm given to very few words. I don't like to say, you know, talk long. I'm, I'm kidding, of course. <laughs> Uh, it's very uh, it's very unusual because really I don't talk a lot I don't I don't it's only when I do this kind of stuff I just talk a lot I talk 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 but at home uh, I have a minimum of words it's hard to get a conversation going with me I'm really a dull person <laughs> really I am I only come alive when I'm around the saints. That's 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 true. Otherwise, I'm very, I'm a very, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm closed mouth. You know what that closed mouth? I just I just don't talk much. I just say, excuse me, I'm, I'm going to go read something, and I disappear into my little office, and I have everything there. Every convenience I want is right there. Right, every book. The light is just right. I have several lights. I, I have my choice. 
right? I have a videotape, you know, I can watch a video. I, everything is perfect. I have a cassette right there with two speakers. Perfect. Everything, everything is perfect. See, the phone is perfect. I can get it from my desk. I can recline and talk to it on the talk on the phone. You see, there's a certain place for my nose spray. Just, everything is within reach. You see, it's perfect. It's, per, it's taken me years to make it perfect. You see, years, but it's perfect. You see, uh, my house shoes are just a certain place. You know, if you can't find your house shoes, it's really a it's really trouble, right? But you know, you have there's just one place for them. It's really it's really nifty. Then sometimes I'm not home, and my daughter uh, sneaks into my into my room, uh, so uh, so she can watch the TV. See, so she turns the TV on, and uh, while I'm not there, and uh, and uh, uh, when I come back, well, of course everything's not where I left it, right? This is a big suffering. <laughs> big suffering. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have a point. I just can't remember what it is. <laughs> okay. My point is this way. is uh, uh, One of the points we covered was this matter of being unequally yoked. That this will cool a person down into lukewarmness. Do y'all recall this? I want. I. I. I just felt this was not. Uh, I didn't really do well or something uh, to impress this upon all the saints about being unequally yoked. Uh, mainly because it might be a little, uh, a little barrier there. In that, uh, the verse in. Second uh, Corinthians six about the unequal yoking, uh, no doubt applies to the marriage of believers with unbelievers. This is the basic principle. It doesn't say that right out, but the context gives you that impression. Otherwise, if you do that, if you if if there's a if there's a marriage between these two. Uh, uh, people that are from different sources, then Paul basically saying you're having a major, major contrast, and he calls that an unequal yoking. It's like an ox is yoked with an elephant. Can you imagine how difficult that would be? Or a, or a fox is yoked with an ox. Can you can you see how difficult it would be? They have two different ways, two different views, two different. Uh, that their sources are different, their nature is different. You see, it won't work. See, would you like to be yoked to, uh, uh, let's let's say, uh, you know, a lion? Let's even say it was a, a tame lion, but could you cooperate with it? See, the nature is totally different. So he says, what fellowship has one of source with another? That's his whole point. You see, Christ with Belial. What fellowship is there? There's no fellowship. So uh, we we can't be unequally yoked. But but again again we're not here in a kind of a watered down situation where where we have to fight that battle. Everybody knows that. That's that's something that uh, that's something that Thyatira needs to hear. Okay, 
uh, or someplace like that, maybe Sardis, maybe Pergamos. But this shouldn't be a problem with the saints. But the unequal yoking is a real problem when you take the principle and try to apply it in all the relationships of your life. Okay? And the thing I mentioned then was there are some things like jobs. I would say the primary thing is with uh, your work situation, your livelihood, your job. You cannot avoid having uh, contact on a daily basis with uh, people who are unbelievers. Not only do we, not only is that the way it is, but God uses that. Otherwise, if we didn't have that contact, we'd never have people that we meet that we could get a burden for. So that's the positive side of it. Okay? As long as it's within the line of our, uh, you know, our responsibility, God really blesses that. He even blesses it to the furtherance of the gospel. Okay? The other way the gospel is furthered is when we go out specifically with our gospel shoes to propagate the gospel. Whenever we do that, uh, I would say at least whenever we do that with, with one or two other saints, you'll see you're, you're protected from evil things. Nothing will touch you. Even somebody throws an egg at you, you'll still be okay. Nothing will bother you. And the evil one can't get to you. Even you knock on the door and, and, the, and you know and the, the devil himself opened up, uh, he would say, let me close the door real quick. He doesn't want to talk to you. Because you're there specifically designated to announce Jesus Christ and he doesn't like that at all. So believe me, he's out. Yeah, you're really protected. You, they can throw, they can abuse you. They can... They can throw rocks at you like they did Paul many times, but, but you are really, you will never be made lukewarm by that kind of effort. That's impossible. You, you'll just get more fiery when you do that. That's for sure. Okay. The problem of uh, unequal yoking comes in things that are... Uh, that that we have the ability to control, but we allow ourselves to have uh, relationships with the world or worldly people that are too much. That will that will bring in deadness, and you will feel it. You will be <laughs> you'll be dead. Okay, it will cool you off, definitely. Okay, and I've said this, but I, I don't know if I if if y'all really fully grasp how how big a thing. Have to live. Of having a strong foundation of having a strong beginning, of having a strong location. If we go out, we have to go out from breathing fresh air. If we're going to live a while out there where, where the air is foul, we have to be used to the fresh air. We have to know what fresh air is. We have to take fresh air with us. Mm -hmm. 
You see, if we're going to exist out there, we have to we have to come from a place where the air is good. You see, we can't just roam around and expect to be uh, to have an impact when we ourselves have not been in the realm or the sphere of where we have normal daily fellowship and the air is clear. That what I mean by that is our fellowship with the Lord is normal and steady okay don't get in a compromising situation uh, for example just as a just as a simple example if you have to have a study group you may not be able to control that they may say these 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 people will study together and form a group in a class then that's beyond your control then you can pray to the Lord for grace but if you have some some control, see if you can't get with another Christian, so you don't have to listen to all this uh, listen to all this fleshy talk and fallen talk and all and things that your ears just they they're it's defiling. You understand what I'm saying? Do you understand? Okay. You see, this is why I stress. Uh, uh, some of you have living situations you can't change them maybe right this minute. Okay, and it, and when it's beyond your control, you can look to the Lord for grace. But when you can do something to make your living situation, which is which is home for you, home base, spiritual home base, then you need to live with the saints, where you can exercise the spirit, where you can uh, know that prayer is normal, to be in the Word is normal. You don't have to feel that uh, you have to do something big. There doesn't need to be a big effort to uh, enjoy Christ, right? Somebody would be willing to pray with you if you really felt a need, things like that. You need, this is home, this base. Then you, then you have the strength. If you don't have that, anytime somebody asks you to do anything, you just, I can't do it, right? I don't have time. I'm too weak. I don't have the burden. You see, I'm busy. I've already got something scheduled. All this happens. You know why this happens? It's not because you are you're a weak person. Uh, it's not because your your vessel is not as good as somebody else's. You just you just haven't been enjoying fresh air. You see, the air you're breathing is is uh, some compromise. So you need you need uh, you need a fresh air situation. Uh, some of y'all are married. Now you you produced your own fresh air situation, didn't you? Do that by getting married, you produced your own fresh air because you got out of having to live with uh, worldly people, and then you got out of having to live with a troublesome brothers or sisters. <laughs> but let me tell you, uh, even you get married, it's not automatic. You still have to live in the spirit. If you don't live in the spirit, then uh, then the air will not be fresh, right? They'll be, they'll be, uh, what shall I say, how about pollutants? They'll be in the air. Pollutants will be in the air. You breathe in, you got a germ. You breathe, it doesn't matter. You have to breathe. So I'll breathe through my mouth and you still got a germ. It gets in somehow. Why? Because uh, the atmosphere depends on whether people deny their self and take Christ. Right? So this is, this is what uh, the home is for this, you see. 
it's easy to tell. You know, the other morning, I, after I got up and had a time with the Lord, I really enjoyed the Lord. I, I, I mean, it wasn't spectacular, but there was a, there was just a there was a song in me. I don't mean I sang. You, you know, I wouldn't dare attempt that. But there was a song in me. I, there was. I just felt, and so I was by myself, and I had a coffee cup in my hand that I had had in my office, and so I was going to return it to the kitchen. And I was walking by, and just as I got into the kitchen, that cup, which is my favorite cup, because it's it's uh, it was a, a gift that my daughter gave me, and uh, it says on it, to the world's best dad. <laughs> so I always use that cup if it's clean. And I dropped that cup, and it just, you know, just right out of my, just slipped right out of my hands and just crashed because I hit the linoleum. Just crashed and splintered and everything. And, uh, you know, before anything could come up in my being, the song beat everything. Amen. That enjoyment of Christ beat everything Amen. and beat everything. Nothing could get, nothing could, it was like a race to see who will take my being first and, and the resurrection life won easily. It wasn't even close. I just looked at the cup and I said, I just looked at it and I, I just said, praise the Lord. <laughs> just praise the Lord. <laughs> I, the, the day before, I don't think I would have said that. It all depends on how fresh you are in the enjoyment of Christ. See? You know, whether you can love your roommate depends on how fresh you are in the enjoyment of Christ. It does. Uh, sometimes my wife will say, I love you, dear. And I'll say, I love you, dear. You know, that what we say, that means about 1%. To say is easy, but to really practice that, you need to be fresh. You see, it's one thing to say; it's another thing to deny yourself and live Christ. So you need to be fresh, don't you? See? Well, this is the big. This is the big uh, key. Uh, <clears throat> have a situation where you you are not unequally yoked where you can have a base that you can always come back to you're down you can come back to it okay you say well I'm down but something but uh, everybody else in in at, at home base is down too so that didn't help me anyway at least they won't give you trouble if you go to the Lord by yourself so it's still a good base you see you understand? Otherwise, you kind of have to hide around, sneak around, hope no one turns up the radio louder because they see you trying to pray, things like that, right? So you need a good, you need a base where everybody will allow you to to breathe freely, be recovered, be filled, things like that, right? Okay. Uh, now. I want to just say uh, a minute. Can I stand up so I can stretch a minute? I'm okay. Uh, on the other side of the coin, oh, on the other side of the coin, uh, in being unequally yoked, this is to all the people and things out there. Now, give me a time because somebody brought this to my attention last week, and I kind of like to mention it. Uh, 
that, you know, sometimes it's good to say a little word to the young people that uh, uh, <clears throat> when it regards your, your parents, your family, or your relatives, that is another realm. Don't take things that we're applying to the world that is a stranger to us and apply it to your uh, blood relatives. That's a different realm. You see, you're yoked to them unequally whether you like it or not. <laughs> so take it, take it. Okay, learn to be one with them. Walk, run, trot. In other words, stay in the yoke according to them. That's okay. As long as it's not sinful. In other words, as much as we say... Uh, uh, you know, we need to be separated. We don't mean, we do not mean that we should not be human. We do not mean that. And especially we don't mean that to those who are our blood relatives. Right. We should be human to that. For example, when my dad was still alive, uh, he was he was an active person and so... Uh, uh, he, you know, they lived several hours from us. But when we'd go and visit, he liked to do what he did five days a week. He liked to go and play golf. You see, I didn't have any clubs, I didn't have any shoes, I didn't have anything. I, you know, I'd, I'd uh, gotten rid of those a long time ago. Now, what if I go up to my dad? Here I am in my twenties. I'm twenty. Say I'm twenty-seven. I have one child, and I go up to my dad, and he says, "Well." Uh, I'm going to go play golf, and uh, I usually play at 8 o'clock. Uh, and I used to play with him, right, before I left home. And I say, well, Dad, you know, I'm, I, 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 I'm, just, I'm just a God man, that's all. No, no. You think you think that's going to really, you know, melt his heart and make him open? What I want to do is really have a relationship with him that at some strategic time we could have a serious talk. See, right? And you know that's worked with my relatives. It's taken in in because I kind of botched it at first. It's taken quite a long time, but now I have had a serious talk with those close ones. And, and they received it because it really flowed and the, the timing was right. It took a while, but it worked. Because I got, I, I, when, I, when I visited them, I would get interested in what they were doing and what they were interested in. And I, I wouldn't say, you know, take this attitude of, well, it certainly doesn't matter to me whether you know, uh, your best friend uh, just died from cancer. I mean, what do I care? You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a saint. I don't care. You know? I didn't. I didn't tell him. Well, to die is far better because you get to be with Christ. <laughs> See, this is a shock. This is a shock. Believe me, they don't want to be around you. You think they're open to you that way? <laughs> no way. No, no, no. Don't, don't ever. Don't ever. Listen. Don't go blast people that are your blood relatives. No, don't do that. Even if they're your close friends for a long time. Go and relate to them in a way that respects your prior relationship. Okay? 
you know, some of them you, you've had a long relationship with, years maybe. So you have to tell them something appropriately. You can't just say, well, uh, I used to be your friend, but you know, I found out in the church we don't have friends anymore. <laughs> so you're out. But what I would like to do is preach the gospel to you. And then if you get saved, we'll be uh, brothers in Christ, which is better than friends in the flesh, which is where you are. I'm exaggerating, but not much. <laughs> On the other hand, don't do nothing. Don't go home and be the same old person you've always been forever and ever. You are different. So you just have to look to the Lord to be what? Jesusly human. He'll give you a, ch he'll give you a way. Then is the, the time not to give a bunch of doctrinal truths like they're stupid. They're not open. They're not open to your wisdom above theirs when they raised you and they saw you laying in the crib and they think now you possess higher wisdom that's the time to give them a testimony that will present the truth of the gospel in the testimony it's a, it's a matter of testimony to people that you were close to right oh I can tell you some stories personal and things I have seen and, and worse than that stories I've heard about uh because they got touched by the Lord they just assumed that the person that they would tell it to in their I mean the ones they loved so much because they were you know so close to that they would respond like them and they made a big assumption and a wrong assumption you see and so they went and just clobbered them I don't say preach the gospel I say clobbered them with the gospel just clobbered them Okay, you tell me how often it works. Come on. You did it. You've seen others do it. You've heard, you tell me how often. One out of ten? Twenty? Well, I wouldn't say never. I would say occasionally somebody is so open that they will say, Great! But it's about one out of fifty to a hundred. Okay? It, it can happen. But... Uh, you just, it, it, it probably won't happen to you. <laughs> but wait, there's a time. You know, some people, the time comes fast. They just say, well, you just tell me what's going on. You can sit down right away and just, I mean, you might talk three hours. And they might say, that's what I've always wanted. And that's what I, I raised you, hoping you would be, you would find that. And they take it. And some people, you can't say that for two years. And then a time will come you can share something. Meanwhile, can't you, can't you, uh, someone's going to, the, your, your mother's going to the shop, to the mall to shop. And you used to love that. But now you don't do that. I mean, you don't just go shopping, you know what I mean? You know, you know what I mean. But can't you go, can't you go to your mother, with your mother and go shopping? Can't you do that? Yeah. You're not going to buy anything. You ain't money. But you can go shop. Your mother says, look at that. Oh, isn't that, isn't that adorable? And you just say, and you, you, what's wrong? If it's pretty, just say, oh, that is really nice. What's wrong with that? 
And if, if it's something really crude, you can say, you can say, Mother, I don't, I don't like it. If you like it, that's, that's up to you, but I don't like that. She won't get mad. What's wrong with that? There's a lot of things we can do, but don't 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 go and blast uh, the wrong people. Okay, you'll slow down, you'll prolong the time that you get to really speak. Okay, I had to wait a long time, <laughs> but praise the Lord! Finally, they just were convinced we really were normal, and so. The time came when some questions came up and that opened the floodgates. They've been dying to ask questions for years and were nervous about it all. And when it did, that, you know, praise the Lord. It was so good that way. See, this we need some wisdom exercises. Okay, we all do that? You will do that? You won't, you won't uh, mishandle your loved ones? Okay, don't give yourself a bad name and don't give the church a bad name. Okay, we we don't believe that way. Okay, contrary to the opinion out there, we're not for busting up families. Okay, but but when you experience Christ, things do happen if people are really uh, stirred up by the devil. We can't help that. Sometimes we pay a price like that. We do, but that's not in our hands. We don't try that. Try to do it. That just if it happens, it happens. But let it be. Let it be the fault of the other person, of the other party, not our fault. Then our conscience will be good. Okay. I think this next point I'll just skip because of time. If we have time, I'll come back to it. Uh, this point here, I know on this matter of ISAV that uh, John said you need ISAV to anoint your eyes that you may see, and then I mentioned things we need to see, and I, I still did not feel satisfied, but the testimonies that a lot of people shared about this point really uh, helped a lot, and that was that you need to see as the first thing, you need to see the preciousness of Christ. That's that's the I said. Right. It cannot be something else. It has to be this. Mm-hmm. It says, I say to anoint your eyes that you may see. Now it doesn't say see what. You see. But you have to you have to take the whole context and you have to take the whole New Testament and you have to absolutely uh, have the confidence that the main thing by far, I mean it's not even close is you have to see how precious, how valuable, you know, how sweet, how treasurable is Christ. You have to see that. If you don't see that, nothing works. Nothing, believe me, nothing works. Okay? The church does not work unless you really are appreciating uh, the Lord in a sweet, dear way. He's so precious. Okay, uh, last night I was trying to, uh, I was just sitting in the meeting listening to the testimonies, and uh, I was waiting for someone to give a doctrinal testimony, you know, with some doctrinal things, uh, because I, I thought somewhere somebody's going to share something doctrinal, 
And you know, basically speaking, the whole meeting, no one said one word doctrinal. They just said something about the person of Christ, how real he was, how meaningful he was, how dear he was. See, a lot of, all the testimonies were like that. You know what? I thought this was really good. Here we are, you know, we're sitting in this room. We know the Bible. I mean, we're loaded with doctrines. If we had, if, if I had a nickel for every, a penny for every doctrine, I know. I mean, can you imagine how wealthy, you know? Just think of the wealth. Every verse you can pull out. You can, you can get some doctrinal slants from, from virtually every verse. Right? There is so much when you consider all the doctrines and teachings. But this doesn't mean anything. Okay. The Jews had all the doctrines and teachings of the Old Testament, and when the reality came, they wouldn't take it. They killed it. They said, you know, away with him. See, they missed. They missed. They totally missed. And, and uh, we have to be uh, really... Uh, I would say stuck on the the uh, person, the sweetness of Christ. I don't think anybody can explain this. Uh, we just don't have. I don't have the utterance. I don't have utterance. But I know that in me, the whole thing, everything I am, everything I do, everything I'm responsible for, everything that I feel I have to give an answer to the Lord about. Everything, all of it hinges on just one simple little thing. Is the Lord Jesus precious to me now or not? If He is, everything works out. If He's not, nothing works. See? And nothing works. How can you deny your opinions when they're yourself? You can't do that. You might as well say, swim the Pacific Ocean. You can't do that. You can't, you can't just suddenly become an unopinionated person unless you have something better. So Christ has to become really precious to us. See, that's why we spend time in the Word, we read the Word, and so forth. Why? Because afterwards, uh, if our if our condition is normal we, we just feel this has really uh, enlivened our appreciation of Christ right when we pray it's not that we prayed for things and we maybe had some answers to things that's secondary primary thing is did my appreciation of Christ get rekindled that's the primary thing so everything hangs on this. Our loving of the Lord because He's so precious. You see, He's just so good. What, what, I mean, what can we compare to? There's nothing, you see. Uh, like, I, I, there's, no, there's no real words. But you must must realize we must take the time to the point that we get to know Him. Amen. Then 
then you will do the thing we talked about at the outing. You will pay the price to buy from the Lord all of these three things. Right? The ISAF, the garments, the gold. You'll pay the price. You'll buy from the Lord. Why? He's worth it. Okay? Uh, I mentioned uh, maybe two things I would like to mention here I mentioned also that one of the things we needed to see we went through the things that that we needed to see from our eyes one was the preciousness of Christ then then there was the mystery of God which is Christ the mystery of Christ which is a church the real situation of Christianity being unable to bring the Lord back and being unable to change Okay, that's true. Uh, there was another situation I didn't mention. I don't think I will again tonight. But then I mentioned we also have to see the real situation with opposers. In other words, uh, not to think, not to think that when we are opposed for our our belief, our faith, our church life, our practice, whatever it is, that we should not think that this is strange. You know, James writes about this, that that we should not think it's strange when some fiery trial comes. But rather it's a proof, it's an evidence that something positive is there. So there's a kind of a, there's a kind of a, uh, there's a kind of a, uh, you know, uh, a glory when we are opposed. If we're accused falsely. You know, this is what the this is what the Lord said. He said, "Blessed are those who are who are falsely accused for my name's sake." In Matthew five, falsely accused, not accused, but falsely accused. Right? If you do something negative and you're accused, you deserve it. But if you're falsely accused, because why? For my name's sake. See, this is the point. This is the point. Is that in the church life? We just care about Jesus Christ in all of his aspects, and we care that all of that is to produce a church. That's, that's in a nutshell, what we care about. Anybody that opposes that is being controlled and animated from a source that is not God. Some other source is there. If somebody is resisting the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which is which is exactly what we harp on day in and day out to produce the building up of this church, which is so uh, paramount in the scriptures. If that's opposed, then absolutely this is not uh, this is not a clean thing. This, there's some element here of. Uh, of a negative spirit, something unclean here. You can say, well, this person is so nice. How could they be so evil? You see, this means we haven't seen. That's why you have to have ISAF. You have to realize uh, when we, when things, when, when, when there's a warfare going on, it's not with flesh and blood. The nicest, littlest old lady who never did one bad deed in her life if she's not in her spirit, she can be stirred up by the enemy 
to oppose that which is concerning Christ for the building up of the church. Do you believe that? It's true. Anybody's capable of being used that way for a lot of reasons that they have conjured in their mind and they think it's their reasons, but actually those reasons were placed there by the enemy. Those are the fiery darts. And the only thing you have to do is you have to ask yourself is, uh, well, are, are we just are we just here uh, focusing on Christ and in, in experiencing Christ? That's all. And is this to build up the body of Christ? That's right. Then that solves the question of where your source is. And it also exposes what the other source is if that's trying to be torn down. You're tearing down the one and only thing God cares about. You see? So we don't need to take any of this. The source is there. See, we have to have a little discernment and realize when the source is not just flesh and blood, but the enemy is using flesh and blood. Sometimes people are somewhat innocently used. Usually there's some motive there. Uh, most all the time they have some motive that's not according to Christ. But frankly speaking, he can use anybody to stir them up. They're not exercised. They're, they're in the natural man. They're, they're fair game for the enemy to come along and stir up. You see, <clears throat> I believe this way. And I've seen it so many times. I have never seen an exception to this. If there is a Christian that is uh, healthy, seeking, realizing they just need more of Christ, that they haven't arrived, you know, a good, normal, healthy, seeking, wanting to go forward type of Christian, don't think they're, they've arrived, they just have a good, healthy uh, desire to pursue Christ. You know, they're kind of a Philippians 3, uh, run the race, type of Christian, you know what I'm saying? That kind, when you meet a person like that, I've never yet seen this uh, different from this, that whenever they come and listen to what the Lord has, has given us as our ministry and what He has given us as our practice up to date, I've never seen one person yet who did not say, this is really uh, positive. This is really good. This is really fresh. This is really something I've been uh, praying about. Something like that. They would. They never said a negative word. Not yet. Now, somebody who's out of it or who's a religious or you know, they can say that. I'm not talking about that kind of person. I mean, the real lover and seeker of Jesus who's just been preserved that way. They've never, in and of themselves, said, uh, I don't like this. I don't like this. This is too too much this or too much that. I've never seen that happen. Nevertheless, some of these people, uh, some of these people develop problems. But you know where those problems came from? Never yet have I seen it come from them. But they contacted somebody who had some motive that they, uh, the Lord knows 
what that is. But for some reason, they had a reason, a motive. And they, they put some thought in a person. Don't, you're not, you're not normal. You're not balanced. You're not this. You're not that. They don't say what the balance is in the Bible. They don't try to share with you the riches of the New Testament. They just tell you, look around and, and you, you'll see you're not a balanced person. You see, they use this word balance. This means you're not a balanced according to what? The way, the way things are in 1991. <laughs> if we go by that, boy, we're all in serious trouble. So it came from outside. That's the sad part. It came from outside. You see, if they would, if somebody would just leave them alone. You see, this is why whenever we preach the gospel, get somebody saved, or we meet somebody that's really seeking like this, we have to pray, Lord, preserve them, put a shield around them, cause everyone to leave them alone and bind the devil from stirring somebody up to go and tell them something that would cause them to uh, uh, have confusion. God, God is against that. Right? You can always tell. You just say, okay, David... Didn't, don't you like don't you like all the truth you hear about Jesus Christ and all the wonderful things? Don't you like it so far? You have the ability. Every human, every adult at least, has the ability to recognize and w have a witness to the truth for themselves. But you know, if five people who are forty years old, peace, come and they're, uh, you know. Uh, professor and doctor of religion and all kind of things like this and they just really stop bomb start bombarding you day and night or maybe it's your best friend or maybe it's somebody you respected a lot in, in uh, whatever place you used to go to you may you don't have a problem but you caught a problem you think about it nearly everybody that, that for some reason or another <laughs> this happened to them is because they caught it they weren't before the Lord, and the Lord said, get away from these Christ-filled people. <laughs> the Lord just didn't tell them that. But somebody told them that. The Lord never said, they are so unbalanced. I don't like people praying and calling on my name so much. I don't like that. <laughs> See, no one ever, he, the Lord didn't tell them that. Okay, but somebody told them that. You see, so it it has to be. It, you have to see. You need some eyes to have to see through a little bit. Okay, you know. In, uh, in again, just to uh, allude to uh, the marriage life, my wife and I. Uh, the enemy, of course, many times, many times that we have not even realized, has come in to attack us and just attack the family, attack us. So we would uh, be uh, distracted, and therefore the body would not get our portion for that day or that those days or whatever. That's happened, uh, I mean, you know, 20 plus years, happened, that's happened many times. And I would say most of the time we, we haven't, you know, probably the majority of the times we, we didn't catch it. But I'll tell you what, there are some, <laughs> there were a good number of times we caught that rascal. We caught him dead in his tracks. And some happen, and some happen, and just, I tell you what, it just, uh, uh, suddenly, it's just the Lord, by His mercy, we just said, uh, uh, wait, stop, this is, this is wrong, this is not of you, this is not of me, this is not our kids, this is not what, what, this is something of the devil. So we just 
Stop right there. Let's pray. Pray. Bind the enemy. It's amazing. It's clear the whole thing. It's like some came in and blew it out, you know. Because it wasn't, it, it, apparently it was human. It looked so human. Our daughter is stirred up for some unknown reason that, you know, it just seems totally out of proportion. I'm stirred up about something in a reaction, or my wife's stirred up about something, and uh, sometimes it all happens at the same time. And, and uh, you know, the enemy has this one characteristic that is a kind of a, a, a weak spot with him, and that is he always goes too far. He does. He doesn't know when to stop. He do, if he would only stop, he would do a lot better. But he has, I think God has allowed him to go too far. That's why he crucified Christ. You know, when he crucified Christ, he crucified himself. He was destroyed on the cross. He, he didn't figure that out until it happened. See, he went too far. He incited everyone too far. He, he should have just let it, you know, go a certain... You see, any, any opposing goes too far, you'll see. They'll go too far, and then and then you'll see. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. This is not even rational. It's not logical. It doesn't have a logical basis. This is there. It's like you put a, you put a you know you put a nickel nickel in the uh, coke machine, and and cans just started rolling out. You see, you for one nickel, you got twelve cans. It's not logical. It doesn't match, does it? Something here from another realm. You see. You have to catch this rascal. Then take the highest name and and uh, bind it. You see, <clears throat> uh, the last point on here is he gives authority to sit on his throne. Amen. This is a, the binding and the loosing authority, mm-hmm. you see, to what? The overcoming one. We have to do that. You see, stop, stop, stop everything and pray. It's just gone too far. Things are, it's too much. That's it. Oh, oh, what's the deal here? I mean, when the dog runs away and the dishwasher breaks and uh, somebody bumps into you on the way home uh, into your car and, uh, uh, you know, uh, your, your kid got an F on a test and, uh, uh, you know, you have a, a real terrible headache and, all, and everybody's coming home to get suckered by the other person and everybody's totally out of it and you just, what is going on in this place? It's, it's, not, it's not rational. We've been two weeks and nobody had any problems. And suddenly, all together, we have seven. Uh, we have seven problems all together on the same day. <laughs> See, this this is when we have to have a little some ice out. Too much. It's too much. We don't take it. Just bind the enemy, and it's out of there. See. Okay, I think you see it. <clears throat> you know what? I believe I've run out of time, and I didn't get to uh, the dining. <laughs> okay, this is going to be a quickie on the dining. Uh, you know, to conclude this epistle, right toward the end, the Lord said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And, and then it says, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. And this verse uh, is a very striking verse because it, it uh, portrays Christ on the outside knocking. This means he's not in. He's not inside. And, and the inside here is inside him. So this is a him. This is a person. This is a being. And the Lord says, I'm knocking 
and this implies that he's outside when he should be inside in a way of dining, right? So so there's a there's a distance here. And not only that, the Lord is knocking. So the person is uh, not seeking the Lord. The Lord is seeking the person. Isn't that right? And he wants to dine. He wants to do this word called D-I-N-E, dine. And he wants to do it in this, this uh, way that that scripturally speaking, to dying, we can't compare this with uh, just a kind of a bite or a little bit, a snack. This is a, this has to be a meal. So this is really feasting, okay? Because it's a dining thing, and I don't have time to go into the background of the Old Testament typology how it developed. But uh, anyway, it is some kind of a meal, and it's a mutual thing because you're eating with the Lord, and He's eating with you. So what are you eating, and what is He eating? This is a good question. See, you're eating something, and he's eating something. <laughs> we can say, well, we're eating the riches of Christ, but what do you suppose he's eating? We need to think about that sometime. Okay, just think about it. But <clears throat> here it says, I will come into him, into. You see, this is a word that we fight for very much because the implication that an outside person would come into a person's being and there would take place a kind of a mutual dining experience does not uh, does it is not being announced it's not being proclaimed in Christian circles it's not now there are some exceptions to that I'll mention that in just a minute but Generally speaking, that's not it. The Christ they are talking about is an objective Christ, not a inward or subjective Christ. Okay? But we have to have both aspects. We have to have the objective Christ who did and accomplished everything that our faith is based upon, and that's for our believing. But we must have a subjective Christ to eat and dine with, and that's for our enjoyment. We have to have both, and the and one is for the other. The objective Christ is so that He can be into Him and dine with Him. You, you follow me? Uh, this thing for the experience of Christ in our inner man has been very slow in developing in church history. Very slow. That doesn't mean it wasn't there in all stages. But as a general theme where the larger, a, a growing number of the Lord's people would get into this line, this thing had to develop. And it took, it was slow, uh, very slow, but it did progress in church history. Okay, until... Uh, we're where we are today. <clears throat> I'd like to give you what I mentioned, and I don't have time to spend much time on it. Let me just mention just some large categories of how I think nearly, nearly every Christian that is born again would fall into one of these categories as the way they take to pursue the Lord so that you can know how you can have the subjective experience of Christ and you would be clear not to fall for something less than that. 
Do you, do you understand what I'm trying to do? Okay, number one, <laughs> the first one is real easy. Uh, first of all, there are really born-again Christians who I would categorize as uh, uh, uncaring ones, uncaring. They really don't care. In other words, in other words, uh, they are not stirred up to live any kind of particular way to pursue the Lord. They really are blasé and passive about it all. Okay? This is, believe it or not, the majority of Christians. They really don't care. Do you think they're going to rule and reign with Christ? Come on. If they did this, Peter would stand up and yell at the Lord and say, That's not fair! I paid all! I was martyred! They did nothing. They didn't even care a lick. And you're going to let them rule and reign? He would be the first one to rise up. Right. Boy. You know, in Romans 1, it says the Lord will be vindicated when He is judged. You know, when we're judged, we're not going to be vindicated, <laughs> right? But when He's judged, you know, there's a kind of a judgment that the Lord gets. I don't, under, I don't fully understand, but that's what it says in Romans 1, that when He's judged, He will be vindicated. In other words, His judgments are just. Okay. Well, somebody's uncaring, they don't care, they don't care, they don't care, they don't care. They don't care anything about Christ. They don't care about experiencing Christ. They don't care about expressing Christ. They don't care about obeying Christ. They don't care about living according to Christ and for Christ. They don't. They just don't care. I mean, you know, it's not that they don't believe in it and wouldn't vote for it, but they really don't care for it. Okay, that's one class. Okay. Are you in that class? Okay. Then I have another class here. Now, when I say these classes, don't think they're all so distinct that a person couldn't overlap into one, two, or three different classes, okay? But I'm just in general terms. I'm just trying to give a little, uh, kind of a little bitty vision or something. Okay, <clears throat> there is a class that I would call, because I, I, this was the biggest element of the class I was in after or where I got saved. And that is that after salvation, after a real uh, preaching of the gospel that was definitely adequate for a person to repent to God and believe in Jesus. They added for a length of time. I would say you have to experience Christ. I don't think you can keep it up in the energy of the flesh. So I think you have to experience Christ for that. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't think that's such a big deal. But... Uh, a lot of things to help the poor, the sick, uh, hospital work, uh, uh, you know, things like this. All of it is very good. Don't please don't ever condemn this. Don't 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 say uh, Don said that uh, that's really not you know a proper thing. I don't mean that. I just mean that that's their vision. They receive Christ and look around to see what good works they can do toward others. Uh, there's no Christ in that. Okay. If this were just something coming out of the overflow of Christ, it'd be very good. But when it's just the one thing that you can see is we just need to 
do some good things to help unfortunate people, then you're talking about three-fifths of the people on planet Earth. That's over three and a half billion people. You're never going to help one-tenth of one percent of them. So that cannot be God's purpose. There must be something higher. Okay. So anyway, that's not our calling, is to take away good works. However, to do good works is right. But for it to be the way is wrong. Does that make everything clear? Things clear to me. Okay, then, uh, number three, <clears throat> I would say there is the people who follow the Lord in the way of seeking after Bible knowledge. The way of Bible knowledge. Uh, after I left the way I just described to you, this is the next stop I took. So this is a little bit of my testimony here. Uh, is I stopped at the uh, station called uh, Bible Knowledge Seekers. When I stepped off the train, it said, Stop here for Bible Knowledge. See? And I went into a realm that I didn't know existed where people would go through every book, every line, every verse in the Greek, in the Hebrew, dissected. This was, eventually, I took Greek just so I could uh, feel like I knew what was going on. I mean, I, 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 without Greek, how can you know? I got to the point to think if I couldn't read it in the original Greek, then I just couldn't be sure what the verse said. That's how far I, away I was from the person of Christ. That I felt like I had to be able to read it in the original language or I just might not, I might not, I might really not know what the Bible says. That's a sad state. That's a sad state. But you, unless you've ever been in this realm, you just don't know, you just don't know how, I mean, uh, uh, I would never have said that I was just nearly on a, you know, a clone of the a scribe of uh, and Pharisee of the Old Testament, but really that was my condition. <laughs> Just oh man, that was something. Okay, and seeking Bible knowledge. I, I there was this one famous place in the city that I lived in, and uh, there was a lot of people at this one station where they stopped for this, and uh, this was a very famous place. The guy had uh, six years of Greek, no nine years of Greek nine years of Greek and six years of Hebrew. So he translated everything originally. And uh, there was no message given. He would just stand up in this great big auditorium with layered seats, like kind of like a miniature stadium, you know, where, or a classroom, a bit, you know, it layered where everybody has a good shot at, uh, at the speaker, not, not flat. And he had a telestrator. You know what a telestrator is? Where you write on it and it flashes up on a big screen. And the whole thing was just teaching, teaching, teaching all the verses and so forth. Okay, here are the verses for this topic, and here are the verses. Just buzz, 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 and boy, you are writing feverishly and furiously, and and uh, all kinds of diagrams. I mean, you had to you had to be there a while to even know the codes and the little uh, you know uh, kind of homespun uh, uh, shorthand that the person used to pick it all up. And then, and then it was over. The meeting was over. And everybody got out of the, auto, the chair, the aisle, and walked out of the auditorium. And it was, it was almost exactly like walking out of a big classroom at UT. You just walked out. If you bumped into somebody, you might say, excuse me, 
how are you? But that was about it. You walked to your car, you got in it, and you took off, and you waited to the next meeting, and you got in there, and everybody would spread out things just like they were fixing to take notes so that they would pass the exam. That was the way it was. Okay? It was like that. And and uh, this place was this place was established because there's one famous uh, theological seminary in Texas that promotes this kind of thing, and so a lot of men have graduated from that and they have started what we would generally call Bible churches, and not all of them are alike, but they all basically follow this kind of line to really push a lot of Bible knowledge into you. And if you said, if you said, well, let's exercise our spirit and enjoy Christ, they would not know what you're talking about. Isn't that something? We can't be like that. Okay, don't say, well, then do we do away with the Bible? Don't say that. You know better than that. We are people of the Word. But we're not people of the Word before we are people far experiencing Christ. Amen. No. The Word should lead us to Christ. And Christ is the Word. Big difference. Don't say, oh, I'm not too clear. They're pretty close. No, they're not close. I thought they were close one time. And the enemy likes it to look close. I think the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden, I think they were very close. But they were. the difference between them was, uh, was massive. And the difference between knowledge of the Bible and knowledge of Christ is also big. It shouldn't be, but sorry, it is. But it should not be. And God did not intend it to be, but it has developed this way. Most of you don't do not know what I'm talking about, but uh, believe me, there is a realm of Bible knowledge, and you can talk for hours about it, about anything. But there will not be one prayer prayed. And there is no, there is no seeking spirit to pursue and gain and be found in Christ. It is not there. So that's wrong. Then uh, I come to something of, uh, fifth, which is a little prelude to number six. And that is, finally, there's a little bullseye here. And that is, there's something called the inner life. The inner life. This, well, this would be five. Oh, sorry, I skipped one. Sorry, four. Oh, oh, sorry. Okay, well, this one, this one is easy. That is, after this knowledge seeking was out, uh, there came to be an attitude, especially in this country, that knowledge was so critical. That is, the Bible was so esteemed. Uh, in the wrong way, that even teachings arose that the, that many things of the Spirit were dispensationally over because the written Word had been completed and now the Bible replaced the Spirit. This kind of concept developed. And there, and there was a reaction to this in the early part of this century. Excuse me. I know it's really taken off here. Okay. There was a reaction to this, and so in the early part of this century, 
in the United States, starting in California, starting in Los Angeles, okay, starting on Azusa Street, which I went and visited one day just to say I'd been there. Uh, <coughs> they, there was a great revival that broke out, and this revival was a revival of the Spirit doing things mostly in a supernatural way. A lot of people got saved, a lot of people got healed, a lot of people uh, had various gifts of the Spirit, a lot of speaking in tongues, uh, things like this. Okay, And so the Pentecostal movement in this country really took off. They, they called them the gifts from the day of Pentecost. Okay, And this really prevailed on the West Coast and then gradually spread across the USA and produced the Pentecostal denomination, which is called the United Pentecostals. Uh, and then there are some denominations that are kind of their relatives but are not quite as extreme as the Pentecostals are. But they believe in the... They, if the knowledge seekers are over on this side, these ones, the, the Pentecostals, they're over on the other side and they are for the subjective experience of Christ, that's for sure. But they are not for the subjective experience of Christ in the way we would define it. Okay? They believe that the, the only legitimate, or the, at least put it this way, by far the highest experience of Christ mm -hmm. as a spirit is something supernatural right. or miraculous. So speaking in tongues, some kind of miracle, some kind of healing, some kind of uh, this or that, they would consider that nothing would excel that. That's the climax. You know why? Because that must be absolutely of God, all of God, because it's miraculous. And they missed the basic center principle of the New Testament of incarnation, which is God mingled with man. That's what Jesus was. He was he was not just Almighty God down earth, you know, talking and spewing out thunderbolts and lightning. He was a regular, normal human being, speaking the words of life as a mingled person. Normal, yet divine. Amen. Divine, yet human. He was both, mingled together. You need some discernment to see who he really was, right? You had to have a revelation from the Father, right? Uh, this is a kind of a way. Don't say, don't say uh, there's, a, there's no such thing as power, miracles, speaking in tongues, healing. Don't say that. There is. But don't say, neither say, that their way of following the Lord is accurate because they have gone way too far. Instead of giving it the little percent that, it, that is given to it in the New Testament, they have made it virtually the whole New Testament. Do you understand me? It is true that on the day of Acts that there was a, quite, a, quite a supernatural event happened there. But don't you think the day of Acts was a little special? Everybody's trying to recreate the day of Pentecost in Acts. But it already happened. Nobody's ever been able to recreate the day of Pentecost. And besides that, when all the apostles spoke in, the, in, in every language, you know, they spoke in every language that was present. And so it says in Acts that in every language, everybody heard the wonderful works of God. Did, right? Y'all read Acts. 
They, they all spoke. You know what? Not one of those speakings was in an unknown tongue. Every, every listener heard it in their own language. That was a known tongue. <laughs> it was unknown to the speaker, but it was known to the listener. That was a reverse of, of what people consider an unknown tongue. You see? Uh, so this, we shouldn't fall. We shouldn't fall for this. You see, but we shouldn't. We shouldn't say no. Don't take the 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 Bible knowledge, people. I, I'm. There's a line. They would say that is not even. They would say all of that is devilish. We can't say that. God does still heal people. He does still do this and that miraculously. But that is not the focus of His economy. So don't go to an extreme, right. and certainly don't get over here and think, well, you know, these people, it's amazing. It's amazing. But they are so, I mean, their Christian life is one roller coaster ride, up and down, up and down. Why? Because they go according to their feelings, 90-something percent. And that is not the Christian life, you see. If God does something miraculous, they all get excited. If he doesn't do something miraculous, that's it. We had a lot of experiences in the earlier days with Christians like in this line. A lot. I mean, we had to, you know, go to meetings with dancing and they watch them how they would dance and get, you know, it, it was like a, an engine revving up. And, you know, once it got really warm, boy, then they would dance and dance and dance and circle and circle and dance and circle and then there would be some fainting and people would faint. And that was when they were, quote, slain in the spirit. And uh, they would faint and drop out. And that was an experience. That was a, that was a, that was a real experience of the spirit. See? Have you ever seen anybody slain in the spirit? <laughs> Funny. You know what? It's amazing. Some people in that Pentecostal realm, they really are touched by the Spirit. For example, you, I mean, people have, I mean, it has happened, people have laid hands on people and that person just suddenly, they just absolutely got knocked backwards. You know, I mean, that's true. It really happened. Uh, there was, there's something there. That's okay. Uh, you don't, don't say that's not God. But I'll tell you, by far the most part is people know exactly what's supposed to happen and so when you do the they're really on the laying of really into the laying on the pants so when they do that these people fall over backwards and it's a big fake and it's amazing because they fall over in such a way that nothing will be hurt they just conveniently fall and really watch out where their head hits and so forth. It's really quite a show. See? <laughs> See? And same with speaking in tongues, you know. If you gotta if you gotta really if you've gotta really uh teach somebody how to speak in tongues, this is not real. If you have to say, Okay, just start saying Jesus and and say Pastor Jesus, 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 Jesus. <laughs> You think that's a real time? Think on the day of Pentecost the apostles had to really start, okay, let's let's start and we'll just start saying Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And, and you think they had to do that? To speak in the... No. See, this is all just a kind of a thing. You know, sorry to say, sorry to say, but the documentaries picked us up this, this last week. 
on 60 Minutes. Oh, yeah. And they did this undercover right. examination of these uh, TV evangelists and how they elicit money and their healing practices. Yeah. And it showed the deception of it all and how they had robbed millions. These people posed as uh, people who really were interested in undercover and were willing to be helped or to donate money and what to do, and they found out all the things. They went to, they went and interviewed. They went to the countries where they were supposed to be supporting orphanages and missionaries, and they found out totally that it was a sham, and they aired it all out. Well, in a way, it is good. In another way, uh, it just, it just, uh, here we are, and we're, we're not for any of that. And yet, we would have, people would view us with some association with that. Yeah. Anyway, that's, 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 that's a, a subjective thing where power is everything. Listen, if, when, I, when I talk to somebody like this, which hadn't been much recently, but we did it all the time, and uh, we, we got to be good apologist in those days because we we had to be okay we would say okay okay there are all of these epistles in the new testament and there are four gospels and there's one book of acts and there's one revelation okay <clears throat> in the book of acts the overwhelming majority of cases of believers were simply the preaching of the gospel and people believed in the Lord Jesus. There are four times where, where uh, miraculous things happened that they would call speaking in tongues. And we can point out how all four of them had some unique background to it where that was needed. Then when you go to the Gospels, there is only one Gospel in one chapter of one Gospel that speaks of the so-called Pentecostal speaking in tongues. And I mentioned speaking in tongues because they, the extreme ones, would say, if you haven't spoken in tongues, you're not even a born-again Christian. And we would say in the gospel, in all of the gospels, only one chapter, Mark 16, the last chapter of Mark, Mark 16, 16, says that they will speak in new tongues. That's the only one. And I could say some more here, but I don't want to get into it. Then you go to the epistles. You know, the epistles will definitely define what is to be emphasized and what is to be de-emphasized. I mean, that is, the, that is the final ultimatum of what is the truth. In the epistles, we have one epistle by Paul, which is 1 Corinthians, that says anything of supernatural gifts, one out of all the epistles. One book, and if you read that one book, 1 Corinthians, you can see, number one, that church was in the lowest condition of all churches that Paul wrote to. Number two, if you're honest and you read that, he was in a uh, nice way, he was putting down that practice and trying to bring them back to a normal experience of Christ, if you're really honest. One epistle. Number two, that one epistle was written from the city of Rome. And, and uh, in Rome, you see, uh, uh, no, I'm sorry, the epistle to Rome was written from the city of Corinth. You see? And Romans is the one gospel, the one gospel, I mean, the one epistle 
that presents a comprehensive view of the Christian life. All the others just address certain problems and give the solutions. Romans takes, takes man from condemnation through justification, through sanctification in the Spirit, uh, all the way through glorification and confirmation into the body life in chapter 12, right? It is a comprehensive view. Paul had never visited Rome, and he was burdened to lay out the whole scope of the Christian life, and that is the one book that does it, and there's not even one word said about experiencing something miraculous. Not one word. And no other epistle even mentions it. And the one epistle that mentions it puts it down and says, you're too much. You read it fairly, and you'll have to, you have to come to that conclusion. Now, you tell me, should we spend our, our life in that circle and pursue the Lord that way? No. You'll find out they have it. They, even they believe in sinless perfection. One of my uh, colleagues at work years ago believed in this. He was, had this background. Sinless perfection. The, the Spirit fell on you and took all the sin away, purged you of all sin, and so forth. So no sin. I said, oh, really? He says, that's right. He was a dear brother. I love that guy. But he, but he believed that he was taught sinless perfection. And then one day I noticed he missed school. Uh, he was a teacher. He missed school. And uh, I said, well, are you okay? And when he came out, are you okay? He said, yeah, yeah. And I uh, said, so were you sick? He said, well, no. He, then he looked at me because I was a brother. And he said, well, I'll, t I'll tell you the truth. Uh, I, I just was really, really, you know, uh, some words like uptight, anxious about some things. And uh, I just I just felt, you know, I was, I think, something like sick at my stomach or something like that. And I said, oh, I see. I didn't say it to him. Sinless perfection, but full of anxiety. Isn't, isn't to worry, isn't that sinful? Isn't that the opposite of faith? But see, they wouldn't call it sinful perfection. He wouldn't call that sin. He'd just call that a little, that's just a little weakness. That's not sin. Okay, that's fine if you want to think that. Eventually, nothing is sin. You see, it's just a kind of a little weakness. So it becomes really just a, a contest of words. You see, he just didn't believe he could sin. But you know what? Some people did sin after that, after they got into that realm and they were taught that they could not commit sin. And they did sin. And you know, this messed them up psychologically. Really messed them up psychologically. Okay, you don't like that realm, do you? <clears throat> then, thank the Lord. That was the reaction, but it went too far. It was a reaction against Nod. Then the middle line came, and that was the inner life. Okay, that was the inner life. You're going to get a quickie on the inner life. Okay, the inner life, which was what? It was a combination of inward experience of Christ based on the Word, coming together so that we could have a solid relationship with Christ by exercising our spirit through dealing with our heart in a way that we could enjoy Him in a normal, healthy, real way. Not based on feelings, not based on superstition, based on the Word, but not based on it being in our mind, based on the enjoyment and the spiritual seeing and, and eating of the Word. That was the inner life that came along, and it took the Lord a long time to, to uh, 
uh, bring all of the extremes to a place where there was something right according to what he desired. It's not in the mind, which is in the knowledge, or the emotions, which is in the supernatural things, but it's in what? The spirit, Amen. which is really the goal. And that's why we should be so thankful. That's the goal. It's the inner life. Okay. But there have been down through the centuries some people who really did get into the inner life. Uh, some spiritual giants who had tremendous inner life relationships with Christ to an extent that I doubt any of us in this room would come close to it. If you read some of the books that were written by them or, or about them, you'll find out that they were mostly uh, one person alone and another person that would feel like them they might meet once or twice or maybe a few times in their whole life. And they just saw it. They experienced Christ. The Lord gave them a lot of, I would say, special grace. And they had quite uh, a lot of tremendous inner life experiences that we would say that's wonderful, okay, in, in the past centuries. However, however, there is a problem with that. And people today have read those kind of books, which I've read also, and they have tried to, uh, you know, they've tried to duplicate that kind of experience. They never could get it. They could never develop it. Uh, like uh, some of these people like Madame Guyon and Father Fenelon and even Andrew Murray and uh, William Law and some of these people from two and three centuries ago. Uh, they could never get it. But, but here's, here's the thing. What really the Lord uh, has shown us in this century since the 1920s is that the inner life is not for the individual, but that the inner life is for the church. Amen. It's for the building up of the church. Since we saw that, nobody cared about being Madame Guyon number two or, or, uh, or Andrew Murray number three or somebody like that. No one cared about being this kind of uh, supernatural Charles Finney the fourth. No one cared about that. You see? Now, we just, need, we just need an army of little brothers and sisters who experience the inner life for the building up of the church. And now that is where the commanded blessing is. Amen. No, no, we don't. We're not. A, we're not a repetition of uh, of these giants. No, we're not like that. We are not going to get it. But what we do have put together is adequate to satisfy us and to fulfill God's purpose. And that's what He He wants. That is being in the center. It's being away from the extremes. It's according to the. It's according to the revelation, and it will produce God's goal Amen. the church, you see. That's where we need to be. So don't be fooled by anything else. Take this way. It includes everything. The Word is here. Christ is here. The Spirit is here. The enjoyment is here. The truth is here. Everything, you can't say, even the miraculous things are here. We really even have those experiences. They're all here in the right proportion, you see. But the goal is that we put it into the producing of the church for the building up of his body. Then we're right on the mark. We'll never be ripped off if we keep this vision. You got it? Yeah. Okay, Neil, let's end the meeting.